Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians, and associate at Dendros Group. And Luz Maria Frias couldn't be with us today. Um, so it'll be the three of us for another one of our grab bag episodes. If you are new to counter stories, every now and then things just kind of hit us all in the same space. And, and instead of diving deep into a, a, a one topic, we have many things that we want to go. So this is kind of a free flowing conversation where lots of different things may come onto the table. Um, and so we welcome you to this grab bag episode. I'm going to kick us off just because we're getting ready. In fact, at the as of you listening to this recording, we will have entered February, which uh, some of us uh, think about Black History Month in February. Other folks think about Black Presenter and Storyteller Employment Month. <laughs> black folks get real <laughs> um, uh, popular and in demand in February. And so we got to talk a little bit about Black History Month and, and, you know, to help remind folks of the history of Black History Month um, and its original intent. Um, we also have uh, quite a few other things that have been happening all in and all around us, in addition to just wanting to check in with each other. So happy Black History Month, everybody. Um, for those who need a little bit of a primer, Black History Month began uh, with Carter G. Woodson in the early 1900s and, uh, and some of his students getting together for Negro History Week. Uh, and the idea and the goal was to have symposiums and lectures and activities and events that celebrated Black accomplishments um, and gave an identity to, uh, to how African-Americans in particular, these are, are Black folks through with a history of slavery in the United States, and African heritage people across the world and globe have contributed to the world. Um, in order to combat these um, these negative notions uh, and dehumanizing ment uh, mental models that had often been pervasive, especially across the North and South in the United States. And so Negro History Week, chosen in February for the birthdays of, of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, chosen in February just to be a Kickstarter for a year of celebrating Black accomplishments, joy, expertise, things like that. Again, to combat the negative ideas about black peoples. Um, only it was it started as a week. And then eventually later on, I think it would be the Ford administration or um, I'll have to go back and check my notes on that one. But it's not until the late 60s, early 70s that Black History Month becomes an official month celebratory thing recognized across this country. So welcome to Black History Month, y'all. <laughs> I'm curious how much of you all have encountered that original um, kind of purpose for Black History Month before. I don't think I have really. I mean, I think, you know, it's on our calendars, right? First day of Black History Month shows up on our Google calendars. Um, every February, there's a lot of events, like you said, right? A lot of speakers. There's a lot of female um, black women show art showcases. I think there's a lot of art showcases is one that I see a lot, like support um, black artists, support black entrepreneurs, um, doing stuff like that I see a lot in February, but I don't know if I've ever really known the story behind how it became um, an actual holiday, a, a month, right? Um, within the calendar year. I really don't know how any of those months came became the way they are and why they are where they are right asian pacific islander month native american heritage I, I don't really know any of that i just assume like it's a white people thing but at least we got a month and that gives us you know a little little attention to bring in some more income for us i mean my opinion i mean as, as entrepreneurs artists and activists and you know it gives us a month where you know if you're a black speaker you get a little bit more more cash that month to spend <laughs> Um, that's, I mean, I honestly, like that, that's how I see, it. I don't, I see, I, I don't really look at it any other way than like white people felt bad. So they gave us this month or whatever. And so we take advantage of that and do what we can with it. Yeah. And, and, and we talk about the big five, the big five with some variants, uh, big five black folks that especially 
uh, white communities uh, know and talk about and spread story, but we we completely, um, oftentimes, especially in dominant or mainstream culture, we don't talk about all the things that happen on the ground, right? So that's the, you know, 50,000 foot, you know, mainstream picture of, of Black History Month. But its origins and its continued engagement within Black community has always been much deeper than we see, you know, cursed over in school uh, or, you know, sugar-coated in the top of, of some of our mainstream work or, or uh, media experiences. Um, I want to give you just a, a little brief, like, intentional history, because Carter G. Woodson yeah. is somebody who I think everybody should know, and we often don't raise up when we think about Black History Month. So Carter G. Woodson himself... Um, it, uh, founded in, uh, he's a Harvard trained, one of the first black folks, if not the first, I got to go back and look at my notes again. You know, I'm, I just turned 40 and my brain is starting to jumble. So, <laughs> uh, I have to go back into my Rolodex a little bit with more gingerly nowadays. But, um, in September of 1915, Carter G. Woodson and, um, a prominent minister, I think his last name, Moreland, uh, founded, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, or the ASNLH. And it was dedicated to researching uh, prominent achievements by Black Americans and other people of African descent. In other words, they were encountering as educators all across the country that very little attention in schooling was being given to Black peoples. And so they began to do some of that work in this organization. And then by 1926, Carter G. Woodson and some of his students started Negro History Week. Again, I already, as I already said, they chose February because of the birthdays of Lincoln and Douglas, which is interesting in and of itself because Carter G. Woodson, the author of the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, really had wanted to fill in these historical accounts that we seem to be losing, right? Um, everybody is venerating Abraham Lincoln for, you know, the great as the great emancipator, but Carter G. Woodson constantly lifted up the tensions and the push that Frederick Douglass often had to have with, with Abraham Lincoln. And so it's intentional that um, this is lifted up here, not to just to celebrate and forget all the, the, the beef between the two, but in order to make it front and center. And the whole goal was to lean into the kind of knowledge and history um, that we don't often do. All right. And so slowly and surely, this week kept coming around and people began to pick this up. I know me, as an AME, as a pastor in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, um, this it proliferated across AME churches across the nation and began to be something that slowly over time began to, to be practiced and celebrated unofficially and without the care of, of white communities until President Gerald Ford, and I got the date finally now, it's, 19, it's 1976, called upon the public to seize the opportunity, to quote, seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every era of endeavor throughout our history. And I think that's an important piece because that's when we have a shift from Black History Month being this like symposium of the full facetedness of Black experience to something that the public in general just focuses on achievement and accomplishment. So not not culture, not identity, mm. not ways of being, not debates and, and conversations, diving deep into who we are, meaning making and all those things. Now we kind of focus on the big names that are comfortable for white folks. And oh, uh, yeah, I mean, you think about it, you know, if you think about it, when we talk about Black History Month, I mean, the way I described it earlier was for like adults. But I mean, for kids right in school, Black History Month is like when you tell the teachers are like, okay, now you have to teach something about black history where, whereas they may not have before, but really all we got was like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. We didn't learn about Carter G. Woodson or really any, anybody who did anything earlier than the civil rights movement. That, that was the only time we learned about the civil rights movement was during yeah. black history month. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think it's important too, right? The the original intent was designed to be something that that again addresses the full experience, the full black experience, and so it wasn't intended to just lift up the names, the 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 names of the popular, you know, people. It was there were issues that were brought forward. There were there was art and science and ways of being and and ways of engaging, and ultimately for the goal of educating our young folks 
about who they are. So they have a positive message that, that we actually were part of making the world what it is. This would be the only time that many African-American students would hear that the first universities were on the continent of Africa, that the um, uh, the first eye surgeries were, were occurred in Africa, that, that there is philosophy and deep knowledge that predates European enlightenment. This would be the only place that you would actually get to see that, right? And, and all the connections that come, come therein. And so we get here over time. Go ahead, Don. I'm just saying math, algebra. I mean, you know, I think <clears throat> now you're touching on areas that I didn't become aware of until Mahmoud El-Khati took me under his that wing part. when I was at mm -hmm. McAllister, right? So I was in college. But I always knew that there was something beyond what I was being taught because, you know, I I still remember um, and remembered that our education system, you know, they taught us early that we were learning Western civilization, but yep. it was never explained in its full context or what that meant or what we weren't learning. All I knew is Western civilization only seemed to follow white civilization. And I'm, mm -hmm. and so everything else was being neglected. And you don't know how much you don't know until you start asking questions. And when I started asking right. those questions, then I started to learn. So, I mean, you know, I had to look up Carter G. Woodson because he's another mm -hmm. figure. He's another figure that I unfortunately had not come across. Right. And so it's much like uh, it's much like the discussion we were having uh, when we still used to be in the studio and. And uh, Tom asked us. Tom Weber. Uh, remember, he he asked us, or it, I think it was after we went to go see the movie. Um, it was either hidden hidden figures, and yeah. he asked us. Weber asked us, who else in Black history, you know, uh, should we know about mm -hmm. that you know play? Because there are all kind of folks in U.S. history, Black folks who have contributed to the technological growth of this country that we're not aware of. We have no idea. But I remember Tom specifically asking us that question. And, you know, we looked, I think, our, I remember my response was, well, we don't know what we don't know. I mean, I had never <laughs> heard, part. you know, remember that? I, I had never, I didn't yeah. know who these mm -hmm. women were at, mm -hmm. at, um, at Houston, you know, who were integral to, to uh, space flight. Never heard mm -hmm. of them. Right. So mm -hmm. we never hear these individuals. So we don't know. I didn't know the background history. So as you were talking, I have to look it up. Right. Thank God for no, our smartphones. <laughs> and, um, you know, because the other thing I was not aware of, um, until I went down to Fisk University in my freshman year, um, was uh, the importance of black fraternities, mm -hmm. right? And because I I'm from Minnesota, you know, we there I think there were some, but I'd never heard of them. And and um, so you know, the first one I bump into was Omega Psi Phi. Well, according to uh, Carter Woodson's background, he was a member of Omega Psi Phi. In his work in 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 a uh, in a uh, Black history, kind of start. He said it started with Omega Sci Fi. They had a week where they would the them and the group would um, do things around around uh, educating other Black folk about about Black history in the United States. And he began to push that to make it a broader uh, a broader thing beyond just that week. It also noted that he was the second African American to graduate from Harvard. Right, right, right because the first was uh, Du Bois, wasn't it? W. D. Bois. I think it was w. Du Bois, yep. and um, you know, father and, of modern sociology. It, it, so, you know, and so I mean, while we did hear about Du Bois, I mean, we heard. If I was to list the people that we heard about in school, you know, it, it's the same old say. We heard about Du Bois. We heard about Frederick. We heard about um, Booker T, right? We heard uh, we heard about um, a court MLK and Rosa, but I didn't really hear about them because I lived through them. So mm -hmm. that was happening while I was 
while I was growing up. So it wasn't a subject that was taught. It was something we were experiencing. But beyond Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, and and, uh, Booker T., the list gets very thin. I, I mean, I can't pull off the top of my head any other black prominent figure other than um, uh, Sojourner, uh, Sigourney, Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth, excuse me. Yeah. Right? And be, so Look, you said Sojourner Wheatley. So, yeah. yeah, that blend of Sojourner Truth and Phyllis Wheatley. Absolutely. <laughs> or Phyllis Wheatley. We'd heard of Phyllis too, right? Um, but beyond that, I mean, that's like a handful. And, and, and we don't learn about anybody past the 1970s. For us, for my generation anyway. And, and you know, I'm much older now, so things may be very different. But w- when we were younger, we didn't learn about anybody who was living in our time doing stuff. We learned about all the people who did and, stuff in the past. And we didn't, we didn't sorry, really Haley, learn I about how that affects on. us. <laughs> You're much older now? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what kids I'm have sorry, been taught in I just have our resident elder in the space. <laughs> I'm older now than, much older than when we first started this show. <laughs> but but th- this is, and, and this, this is part of, um, and I know we've got other things, but but this is part of the frustration that lives there, right? So I'm a I'm a I'm a product of black organizations. I'm a product of black organizations that helped keep this thing this thread through. So I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, uh, one of the one of the uh, the early uh, uh, fraternities in the game, and a lot of them formed these important networks, right? And and I'm actually coming up on my chapter, the Psi Chapter Centennial. Uh, that which was founded in 1924, um, and the University of Minnesota. So our, that chapter was established in 1924. So, you know, these networks do it. The African Methodist Episcopal Church is another entity, and of course, Baptist churches and things like that. Um, these were the spaces that kept these alive. And so, while mainstream would clip off whoever makes it through the gauntlet of American processes and systems to be quote unquote prominent in white space were already prominent in black spaces. And then that network and that conversation went around. I would be, I, I, I'm, I'm, I would bet any amount of money that if we were to have conversations about who, who are important folks from the perspective of the communities that are there, you all would tell me um, among an indigenous folks who mainstream would never, never speak to or raise up in terms of names or would have raised up before they made it into mainstream space. And I think this is an important thing to revisit for Black History Month. Carter G. Woodson and those original organizers, which came from all these different places, um, had an intention that, yes, we would lift up names and examples of folks who were doing important things, but that's one sliver of the intent all the way around. We wanted to lift up topics of, of you know, culture, topics of philosophy, topics, you know, Things, things that are a well-rounded representation of what it means because that's the more human thing. Otherwise, and Carter G. Woodson, Woodson would, would, would write about this, um, we, we develop a culture that the only way to be successful in our culture is to reach these halls of prominence, often mm-hmm. in which case would extract a heavy toll. And I, and I, I can't pull quotes the way I used to, but, but the, the, the gist of it is, you know, you can only be successful if you put your if you put your life on a line, if you survive, if you endure all that that white violence has on you, then you can be prominent, and that's what it takes. And the danger of that is that if I'm seeing that as a kid, I'm like, I don't want to get my ass beat every time I want to be prominent. No, screw that. <laughs> I'm just gonna, you know. So so there's a yeah. there's supposed to be a full roundedness of of all of this that puts all yeah. of it on the table and i think we've lost some of that in our mainstream celebrations of 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 black history black history month that and it's but it's still being kept alive in small things like the new school of african thought that was founded by elder mahmoud el kati uh and they meet regularly i think they they meet at the high school for recording arts you can look it up on on the facebook group but there's a continuation of small groups like that that keep the deeper stories alive, the lesser known names alive, the the th- the communal things, right? You know, we we to keep alive the fact that we only have a free breakfast and lunch program because of the Black Panthers, like that that like that we we are part and parcel of some of the solutions to some of our big problems in the world, 
And we got to be able to have that conversation. And so, in I, other words, you got to kind of do something about it. Go ahead. Okay. So, <clears throat> I I often find myself learning so much during these conversations because a lot of the stuff that um, I don't know, uh, because I don't know, as Don said, is what I uh, what I saw in movies. So, growing up, I didn't think mm. sororities or fraternities were real. I thought there were things mm. that happened in the movies. And Anthony, you were the first person, a black person who told me about a black fraternity. I didn't realize that those existed, you know, and then um, Bianca, a good friend of ours, was in a black sorority. Mm -hmm. And so I was like learning Mm -hmm. all these things as an adult, Um, which I find like if I was younger and I knew there was like a Hmong sorority somewhere, I feel like I would have been so inspired to want to join or be you know, active or figure out who they are. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is I'd be very interested if we have any teachers who are listening and how they're incorporating Black history into their curriculum. And if that involves any more modern day stuff or well-rounded um, content like like you were explaining, it'd be really interesting to see um, if anybody would want to share with us. And I would also say I hope that all of our listeners are constantly Googling because I know I am. I know I'm sitting here and every time (laughs) you guys mention somebody or something that has happened in the past, I'm sitting here Googling. So I hope our listeners are doing that as well. Well, and I'll give three important things to think about as you come into Black History Month to reset. Number one, to go beyond just naming prominent names that... um, white society deems are also important. So go deeper than that. Number two, to remember that the original intent was to be a kickoff for the year. Kind of think about an acceleration ramp where we get to February and we really spark and launch and do some concentrated work that kicks off year-long learning, right? So the intent wasn't that we end Black History Month and stop, that it's a it's a starter point. And there's a lot of educators who have been trying to, to, to make that clear. And so you'll see posts and things like that, like Black 365 and all these types of things to, to kind of help center that. And I think that's pretty, pretty similar to what the core of many of our communities and when we ever, when we get to our own heritage months, when we get to Native Heritage Month, when we get to Women's uh, uh, History Month, when we get to Asian American Pacific Islander Month, where all these are supposed to be Kickstarters where we just, we take some time to like dive deeper, but the expectation is it's 365 a year. And then the third piece that I would offer for folks when you think about Black History Month is that it's, it, there's so much more to the lived experiences of all of our communities. And that's the time to, 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 there's some time here to really benefit from a whole lot of the celebration, right? The celebration piece is a huge deal. It's a time to celebrate and say, hey, we're here. And I, and I want to point out that these celebrations have always been ones that help show everybody to love who you are. That has always been part and parcel to, to, to these celebrations. And there are folks out there who will say that celebrating Black history and having any kind of focus for any period of time on one diminishes somebody else. And that's just never been true. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for Black mm-hmm. History Month, many other heritage mm-hmm. months and experiences wouldn't happen from many different ethnic backgrounds around. Mm-hmm. Like the idea is if we learn how to celebrate some of us, we learn how to, we can take that and celebrate all of us. That's, that's part of African philosophy. The zero sum game, you know, it's a pie. And if you focus on one slice and the other people don't yeah. get as much, that doesn't come from African philosophical traditions. I just want to point that out. So this is a time to, to celebrate and launch because it doesn't diminish anybody just because we focus on one area. Yeah, and I think, you know, that reminds me of something my dad had said recently about a lot of the rights that we have that we don't acknowledge is because the Black people suffered at first and the Native people suffered at first. And so we get these because the BIPOC folks who came ahead of us suffered for us to get these sorts of benefits. And that's just reminding me that my dad had said that to us recently um, with all the uh, police shootings and the George Floyd and everything in it. And he, he came up and he said that to us. And it was really, it was just something we had never heard him say before. And he was just like, you know, we have to be in solidarity um, in moments like this because of that. Because we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have API Month without Black History Month. 
It's very true. It's like that, it's like that rising tide raises all ships, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, when, when, when you are, our, our struggles are bound together, but our successes are as well. So when I see you win, then it, and it, it splashes over to all of us, which in theory should be the way things go. However, it's a grab bag episode. So then we say, okay, so let's set to the purpose of actually doing something about it. And then you get a news article like this. There's a black women um, led venture capital firm um, that is organized to challenge and deal with this issue of the lack of representation for um, black women in business. And so we see this huge disparity there. They go to do something about it. And now they're being challenged. They're being they're, they're fighting a legal battle for something called the Fearless Fund. The Fearless Fund is um, designed to give grants to black women um, entrepreneurs to get their businesses up and running because of they're so underrepresented. Right. So it's a, a case of we see a disparity. We see a gap. Some folks have gotten together now venture capitalists, meaning they're raising their own money. <laughs> They're doing their own thing to pull money together. And now the same folks who who worked are, are behind, strategists behind the Supreme Court's dismantling affirmative action for college admissions are are fighting them in court to block them from being able uh, to to do this venture to award grants to black women and entrepreneurs in Miami. Because they're being discriminated against is their argument. (laughs) And, you know, I had to, I hadn't heard of that. So I had, again, I had to look it up. And, you know, so the first question that came to my mind is, where's the money coming from? But they're venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. So they're raising their money. They're not Mm -hmm. taking, they're not taking grants. They're okay. Because when you take, grant money, that money is restricted. So, so in, in that world, um, you would be violating restrictions of those grant dollars by saying you're only going to use it to serve this particular population. But with venture capitalism, with your own money, you can do whatever you want with that and fund whoever you want. And so I'm, you know, and, and the people behind this, um, you're, you know, are the ones who, who unfortunately successfully argued uh, in the Supreme Court to end uh, discrimination. And I, I know we had that discussion on one of our previous grab bags, and now they're going after this. And so, you know, I don't even see what grounds they're trying to, to, you know, ferment their argument because it, it's insane. I mean, it, it's it if this moves anywhere, then it ha- it has. I mean, think of all the other institutions. Mm-hmm. Come on, who who fund only like minded individuals, and and don't use public dollars, and they have the right to do that. I think you know, no one. And if they are successful in this endeavor, that dismantles. Or it better dismantle all that, but you know this goes back to to uh, the realization your father had, Hilly, in terms of the fights that communities of color and every you know that we've had here in this country isn't about getting special rights; it's about just being treated equal. Mm-hmm. So. Your dad just make sure your dad understands that that mm-hmm. there, we don't get anything special. We're just fighting to be treated like everyone else, or in right. this case, how dominant members, how white Americans are treated. That's all we're. That's all we've always asked for, and all we've right. ever tried to ask this country is to treat us equally, treat us the same, right. and not special, not different, not better. Just you know, if a if a cop pulls a white person over and they defer to him for a half hour because they won't get out of the car, you know, and and they'll sit there mm-hmm. and discuss and talk and whatever, but they pull over a person of color and after two minutes they're trying to yank or shoot that individual. There's a difference in how we're being treated, and mm-hmm. so you know our fight is just to get that same difference 
that white folks get unequivocally in this country. And so, but that just, I mean, what is the, you know, what is their, Anthony, what is their argument? The, the the argument again is 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 the same one that was trying to be brought with the affirmative action case that you alluded to earlier at the Supreme Court, right? That a focus on something that's exclusive to black women entrepreneurs is discriminatory to white folks. I mean, they're not <laughs> using the word white folks, but that's the the like dog whistle that's there. And 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 I think there there's a couple of things here, right? So so um if if one of the challenges that I think was even made at the Supreme Court fight was, so to do something affirmative to address a huge disparity that is racially based, right? That there's a racial disparity, not not a general, there's a racial disparity. And so if I do something specifically to level the playing field, that's discriminatory, but having the disparity in the first place is not. Exactly. This is something that mm-hmm. folks refuse to take on as an argument. And then the, the second piece that comes up with this one is, and again, this is happening in Florida. So remember, there's an ongoing mm-hmm. battle for anything related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and all of that, because there's this narrative that's being put forward that somehow folks are have a vendetta against white people when almost everybody, inclusive of white folks who are working on these themselves, these issues themselves, in support of, of ending discrimination and ending disparity, right? Um, it, you know, the there's there's this 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 uh this this talking point belief that plays well with certain parts of our society especially during election years to to try to 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 play some kind of victim when the vast majority of the american people are like yeah there should be a leveling of the playing field there should be something that builds this up uh, that 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 addresses this issue and it and most people will see no change in their livelihood by fixing these issues. In fact, we see that places where uh, equity in any way, shape or form has been achieved has been beneficial for everybody around that in the, the communities end up making money. The economic uh, story of that ends up being better, but we don't, you know, data doesn't work well if I'm trying to get you to feel like you're a victim in order to, to, to steal your, your, your votes and your thinking towards a political issue. I would offer to you, if you want to find, again, since it's Black History Month, a, a, a like a very similar project that was played on the American people, go to this lead up to the Civil War and see the arguments that were made to poor white folks in the South, who's m- one of the largest suppressants of their economic livelihood was the existence of, of slavery, slavery itself. <laughs> and yet I convince you somehow <laughs> that... That 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 the efforts to dismantle it is the evil thing, even though it's the thing that will benefit you economically, because mm-hmm. then you'll actually you won't be outcompeted by a free labor, brutal labor force. Exactly. You, you see that the thinking here, yeah. like so so this this becomes in particularly problematic, especially since we know what happens when you uplift women in any of our cultures and societies around the world. Like the data there is just so clear. When 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 we educate women, when we uh, uplift the economic uh, 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 power of women in any society across the entire planet. The entire society does better. That's been so sociological proven. I don't know why we're even having this, you know, having this conundrum. I mean, what, I, the biggest thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that bother me about this story, um, but there are organizations and entities, maybe not in Florida. I'm sure there must be in Florida that specifically fund women entrepreneurs. And so if we're going to mm-hmm. start this argument that you can't do it on race, then are we going to start this argument that you can't do it on sex or gender identity? You know, I mean, this is that kind of Pandora's box. But the thing is, is also like you can't, especially because they're an investment firm, like you're coming at someone's business model. And to me that, you know, they're an established business model and you're coming at them because it doesn't match your specific values. And that I find really hard. The Yeah, the American Alliance for Eagle Rights, I just feel like they're sitting here waiting to find organizations, find situations that they, they can bring these cases for. But in reality, these aren't cases that are hurting 
them. It, rem- it reminds me of this thing that happened where we were looking for uh, a muralist. And we were looking for somebody from the east side. And we wanted to give preference to, um, you know, BIPOC folks. Um, and we were looking. And so I, I, I knew a white muralist who was from Osseo, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. And he wanted to do it. And I said, well, you know, we it's about the east side. We really wanted somebody from the east side to do it. We were hoping for a person of color, you know, um, because it's really celebrating the mural, celebrating diversity. And I remember his mom going, it's not his fault he was born white. Hmm. And it's not his fault he was born in Osseo. And I, my response was like, how does that affect my, dis- you know, how so I should make some sort of exception for him and give him this gig? Because it's not his fault, you know, and that's just some that's just something I hear all the time when I talk to white folks about working in in diverse communities is it's not my fault. I can't help that I am. And this case just really shows that is that these people are sitting here going, it's not my fault that I'm a white woman. Why can't I get money from these black women to support me? Yeah. And and that argument. Flee, that's such a good point because again, it it um it's one of the things that folks in communities, especially if you come from communities who have are historically disadvantaged, it, everybody will agree on one argument side that all folks should be equal, hence the name of this individual group, right? That there should be equality. But then it waffles when you say, okay, but currently there's disparity. And so we need to address that disparity because the mm-hmm. status quo will keep that going. It's currently not equal. So I, mm-hmm. I, I want all things to be equal on one hand, but I'm unwilling to balance the playing field on the other. This has been something in part and parcel to arguments all throughout. Remember, people were making this argument and, and you know, this is the separate but equal, right? Mm. Is inherently unequal, Right. So, 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 because of the historical inertia in our society, and then there's an even larger. I think, Flea, you're getting at an even larger issue. So, say this case fails, or say this, say, say they are blocked from from being able to do this uh, specific uplift for Black women entrepreneurs. Now that court case ruling can sets be used, precedent. sets a precedent. So now any of us in nonprofits or anything that specialize in addressing specific disparities, right? And, and, and let, me, let me do one that hits folks from outside of BIPOC community space, right? And uh, what about a grant that, or, or a program, uh, even a venture capital program that supports the experiences of rural farmers or any other cultural marker? Does this mean now that if I see disparity mm-hmm. and I address it, I'm no longer allowed to 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 do that and and this is the this is the kiki haha for me mm-hmm. because if 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 we actually have the conversation about where the disparities are right and we began to do our work according to disparities i can absolutely see where somebody's going to look and say well huh, we we don't it may off absolutely be true i'm just going to say it's, it's, it's my brain's forming this but this is what's got me thinking. It may be true that I feel left out because if we're going to focus our attention on the disparities, I get talked about less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a real yeah. feeling that some folks may feel, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's problematic. And so that's where, where this is kind of a shot across the bow. It's it's scary to think of. I, I don't know. Of I wish you could it, see it, me shrugging right now. <laughs> it's scary to think of because it, it it would set that that precedence, and and I would question if there was an organization who only funded white entrepreneurs, would this organization, the Alliance American Alliance for Equal Rights, would they bring a case against a a, a fund of, that was only funding uh, white? entrepreneurs i mean if we're going to make that argument right that nothing should be based on race then if an organization popped up and said we only want to uh fund uh white people who want to open restaurants 
then this organization should bring a case. And I would argue we already have some like that. They may not name race semantically, but we already have organizations who, yes. who in their focus and in the population that they serve, serve almost predominantly white folks. And 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 we got no issue. And And what I want to offer to you is there are many times for those that we've had no issue with it. We know historically that Appalachia tends to flip the racial demographic assumptions that we that we have. In that space, it's the one area in our country throughout history, oftentimes, where we see a little bit more parity between the outcomes for BIPOC folks, in particular black folks, and their white, poor white peers, right? So if I do a poverty program in a particular area, um, all the, if, if the area is demographically white, the folks that you serve in poverty are going to be predominantly white. We don't have an issue. Nobody has an issue there. Because it's dressed on the needs and the disparity of a particular area. And we seem right. to only have an issue when that is BIPOC folks. Yes, because because white folks is default. You don't have to point it out. It's default in a business model. We want to support struggling artists. But if you put in there, want to support struggling black artists or you want to support struggling LGBTQ artists, then people be have issues with it because that leaves them out. And it's okay that you're not invited to every party. It's okay that, you know, you aren't included in every group. And I feel like white people just don't get that. They don't, it's well, like, so, it's like playing poverty. No, 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 no. They, I, 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 it's the other way around. The folks who are doing these kind of efforts part, come on. fully understand what it is that we're fighting for in terms of uh, equality and equity, but they're dismantling that. They're, so it's not that they don't get it, right? Go I, ahead. I, 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 gotta, I think I, I would I say they don't, they don't get that, that they don't need to be invited to every party. That's what I mean when they, I say I, they don't get it. Th this so so this is a dangerous piece for here, and it's part right. of the issue that I, I have with the folks because with 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 how this conversation goes. Because the average person in this country, if you said, here's a gap that's affecting this particular community, and so we're gonna do something to balance that and address that particular gap mm -hmm. for that particular community, yes. most people in the country, and this is backed up by P research, is backed up, regardless of racial background, go, oh, this particular group is having this issue or disparity. And then there's some money or something that's going to address that to help balance that. Yeah, we should do that. That's the average person. Yes. This group does not represent the, the, average the, the populace. Exactly. I think that's group, very important yes, to note. There this are, group consists of the people who want to be invited to every party. And they want to dismantle the system. white. They want to dismantle the system so they can be invited to all the parties. But you know what? When you dismantle the system so you can be invited to all the parties, no one wants to invite you to the parties. <laughs> you can be allowed to the parties, but no one wants you there. I'm just saying. <clears throat> I, I also just want to point out that we are our popular racial discourse often simplifies us into simple racialized terms on these issues. Mm. I want to point out. Not all the folks in this group and in this organization space are white mm -hmm. that are trying to start this injunction. And not all the folks who are trying to actually address and make equity real are people of color. Right. And I think we are real yes. out of sync with what the actual popular um, uh, viewpoint is in American society. This is one of those ways in which we get duped. And 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 let me let me be clear, it's not just the right that uses this game. Like this game is also done on. I'm sorry, that's yeah. going to get us into a whole other topic that needs to solve a whole other. But episode. but you're right, um, and then we'll stop talking about that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, so again, grab bag episode, right? So we're having this conversation about this particular legal battle that's happening around again, bringing this affirmative action or or positive efforts to address the equi the disparities, right? So they're having a conversation about equality. Most folks uh, around the country are trying to have a conversation about equity, fairness, balance, actually balancing the playing field, not just having the same stuff. Um, 
we we yet again are uncovering a some continued disparity um, that we're that that we're encountering, and that is the outcomes of encounters with police officers mm. with, for BIPOC folks. And so um, we can't have this grab bag go without talking about the Ricky Cobb um, uh, uh, case here in Minnesota. For those um, who are unaware, um, a Minnesota state trooper was charged with the mur with murder, charged for with murder in the killing of Ricky Cobb in a, a traffic incident that happened uh, on July 31st. Um, this last July 31st. So, so what y'all think about? I mean, here, here we are again, Minnesota's yet another encounter. You know, <clears throat> I, I remember when that happened and I remember when I first saw it on the news and I think it followed some of our previous discussions that we've had here on, on a grab bag discussions on, on counter stories where I think, you know, I know I have been bemoaning every once in a while the lack of of uh, progress after um, I, I see in Minneapolis after the killing of George Floyd. And um, then out of the blue, out of nowhere, we have this shooting of from a white state trooper of all state state trooper of a young black male on interstate 94 um you it's just unheard of i mean you don't you don't hear of state troopers shooting and killing hardly anyone I, you know it just it's a thing that just doesn't happen and so as the story came out and they shot him because he was drifting away it just kind of threw salt in the wound and and i remember i remember um uh you know on uh youtube i have a tendency to sometimes to watch dash cam videos and and other things on youtube and i came across i see multiple YouTube videos of police officers interacting with motorists, but mm -hmm. most of these motorists are white. Many of them never follow direction. Most of them drive off with a police officer hanging on the door. I mean, I've seen white motorists yeah. attack police officers and not get tased not get shot time and time again. In fact, I, on my Facebook page, posted a YouTube video of a white guy in Iowa fleeing from police on the traffic stop, took him to like a back junkyard. I mean, it went on and on. And, and all they did was arrest this guy. And here we have a situation where his car drifts away and they shoot and kill him. And no. so, again, we can tie this back to the venture capitalists, the disparities that exist in the numbers of young black men and and women, because uh, there, I forget the state where the case where they pulled over that black woman and she ended up dying after that encounter while she was in jail. Um, oh, Sandra Bland. Yes, Sandra. Mm -hmm. You know it, these aren't; I, they're not isolated cases. And I just it just blew me away that we had another one. This incident happened. The thing that I that um that and I was I have to admit I got I was quiet about it because I was beginning to get anxious because we weren't hearing anything about the outcome of this event. Mm -hmm. So I have to admit that when uh, when the Hennepin County attorney, uh, Mary, Mary uh, Moriarty, decided to charge this case, um, I was happy. I thought, good, okay, we're going to see some movement because this young man didn't have to die. 
And then you see the response right after this individual's charged. Then you see the response of their lawyer and they're playing that yeah. same uh-huh. card. Mm. You know, you hear that same argument that that the officer was was protecting himself and his fellow officer from bodily harm. All I have to do is let go of the car and you'll be fine, right? <laughs> and so it's not like they were standing in front of the car and the car was going to run them over or anything. They were standing in the side of the car. The car drives off. You let go. You go hop in your car and you chase them. I mean, that's what you do. That's what they do with white folks. Um, but and I, you're you're so right on, Don. I just I, I'm just say Ashe. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, anyone else? Uh, he was. They're trying to take him in order for a probable cause arrest. For a felony order to protect violation, which is it is serious, it is very serious. But mm-hmm. the the officer at the time had said he um, he was terrified, it was dangerous, lethal force was needed because he was enormous threat. Since he probably had you know his status was a predatory offender, um, and so the trooper felt that his, immediately his life was dangerous, his life was in danger. And, and felt that the lethal force needed to be used. And I mean, that's the tip. That's the yeah. typical argument white cops come up with when they're dealing with a black male or a I, black I, body or a black. I mean, it, I'm so tired of that argument. I'm so tired of that same justification because it's the justification that is used whenever they run in or we get into situations like this, it's their fear. Uh, my blood is just boiling. I just, when I hear these arguments. Don mentioned um, the uh, statement from the officers, um, or the trooper's attorney. The statement was, this county attorney has provided sweetheart deals to murderers, kidnappers, and now today she charges a hero. This county attorney is literally out of control. Open season on law enforcement must end, and it's going to end with this case. So that's the statement Don was referring to earlier from the trooper's um, attorney. And and again, like this this gets us into some 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 anxiety inducing territory when we can't we can't question and hold accountable a situation in which we we disagree. That that a life should have been lost in regards to this, um, let alone somebody, and 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 again, it keeps coming back to this disparity. Folks keep trying to make this about something other than the fact that apples apples to apples and oranges to oranges ain't happening. That 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 the experience is not the same, right? Uh, again, we have a separate but an unequal experience mm-hmm. in these encounter, and and again, we got to be care- careful a little bit here too. In that, you know, these are high profile situations. And sometimes we get so focused on that that we forget the, the, the smaller, less life threatening immediately versions of this disparity that exist in so many other places. These are just high profile bubble over points that, that are connected to a whole string. And if we are, are, are too much in a bubble about what the experience of that disparity is outside of our own experience, there's no dots to be able to connect to see how a different choice could have been made and how different choices to Don's point are being made in other encounter uh, encounters. Um, and <clears throat> that prevents us from actually having conversations like what should the, the response be in situations like this, right? It, I think folks would love to have, would to, to rather have that conversation but that conversation is wrapped up with the disparity that Don is talking about, right? They can't be separated. And so we can't even get to the, to, to the kind of our societal thoughts and beliefs about what should happen in encounters like this in general, regardless of who it is, right? Because we, ought, we, we still ha- are unwilling to deal with the disparity conversation. And it, and it causes us to be in a constant state of going back, questioning anxiety, all of those different things. So, um, you know, it, it is, it is challenging for us and it, it causes you to have to think about on a daily basis and you find yourself 
sick more often. You'll find yourself, you know, uh, holding on to things a lot more often. You find yourself getting tired and burnt out more often on a regular basis. And of course, our data and our research talks about the cortisol levels in our bodies, the toxic set, uh, stress um, spiral, the up and down. Um, um, we never get that break that's there because there's always mm -hmm. something else, let alone the fact that we have proximity to the people that are involved in these things. Um, even as we get more and more folks in decision-making positions, as black firsts are still continuing to happen. And so, and, and first-time first people of color are getting certain positions. First time an all-women's uh, uh, city council is voted in St. Paul. So all of it kind of comes together, and it makes me wonder just with all the stuff we've talked about as we close up here, I didn't ask you the question about how y'all doing because we had so much stuff to talk about. I didn't get a chance to check in with y'all. Uh... That's the question. <laughs> how y'all doing? given all the stuff we've talked about. <laughs> that was the answer. <laughs> it, yeah, things, space, I mean, I'm not things, quite sure. Yeah, I mean, things keep happening, and then, you know, a couple of good things happen, and then a bunch of other stuff happens that just, you know, a lot, I, I feel disappointed a lot. I, maybe that makes me feel old, where um, I'm not so much mm -hmm. angry anymore. <laughs> I'm just, like, disappointed, because I always... At this point, I expect better from people and in certain institutions and certain people who should know better, you know, and then um, they don't. And I'm discovering that about people I know as well, right? I know very well who then, you know, describes a situation where I'm like, huh, I thought you would have known, you know, better or I thought you would have taken into account both sides or... I mean, for me right now, one thing that, I mean, it makes me angry, but it's also making me super disappointed, right, is the whole medallion situation with the Pioneer Press and their annual medallion hunt and it being them putting it on sacred land without Wakan TP, the organization, knowing about it. Um, and it was one of those things where I felt like Wakan TP has been in the news a lot. They've gotten really good press. They've been making a lot of movement on building their center. They they just got a 2.5 million bonding uh, money. They got the city star grant, you know, and then I, you, you would figure that the Pioneer Press would have known better. Like I did. I figured they would know they would have known better. Every year I look at the the clues. I don't spend a whole lot of time, but I think about them. And this year I did think Bruce Vento. And then I thought, nah, they, they wouldn't do that. They would know better. And then they didn't. And I just, I don't feel so much anger as I just do disappointed. Don, these days, you know, I, I know you, you were uh, talking a little bit about, you know, at these COVID, you know, spikes come up in different spaces. Uh, yeah, you've been trying but, to wrestle with something but yourself. But COVID, I mean, COVID is COVID. And, you know, one of right. these days I'll re-engage with, with society. But, you know, but to answer that broader question, and, and for me, it's, um, it, it's disappointing that in the year 2024, we find ourselves dealing with the same issues that we dealt with in 2016 and 2020. Um, that there's the potential for a candidate to run for office who most, many Americans feel, um, caused a insurrection, tried to overturn the last election, um, and is being allowed to run again. But for me, it's the political it's it's the political situation we find ourselves locally, nationally, and in the world. I mean, it distresses me that we have these wars going on. That what's happening in in um, the Gaza Strip with Israel, the bombardment. I mean, mm -hmm. all this mm -hmm. Ukraine and Russia. I mean, mm -hmm. there's all this strife going on in the world, and. So it's hard for me not to be, not to be, to divest myself from all these things that I see happening with all these injustices 
over the world. And, and so, you know, I, I do my best to not get too caught up in everything. Uh, but yeah, I get, you know, it's, it's what's covered. It's what we see. So, you know, trying to maintain your sanity within all mm-hmm. that. And, you know, so, so right now life is good here in Minnesota. We got warm weather today was in the mid fifties in January. We don't get that kind of stuff here in Minnesota, man. I ain't had to, you know, a buddy of mine, a brother of mine from, uh, that moved up here from Arkansas. You know, we worked together. We've been, we've been friends for years. Told me the reason we don't have no snow is because he bought his first snowblower, right? Brother ain't had a chance to fire that bad boy up. Mm -hmm. And thank God I thanked him. I said, thank, you know, next year, make sure you buy another one. Right. (laughs) So, so I'm enjoying the weather. I'm enjoying the fact that I ain't had to have my butt out there to snow blow my driveway every other day. Like I had to do last year. I'm enjoying the weather. I'm enjoying the little sunshine we get, the warmth. I, I was able to turn the heat off, open the windows, air the house out early, because normally you don't get to do that till late March, right? And this is the last day of January. And um, so I'm, you know, in that regard, life is good. Politically, not so well. But in terms of what we're enjoying right now, we have to enjoy it. I don't want to be a downer, but... When I think of this warm weather, <laughs> when I think of the warm weather, as much as I am enjoying it, it makes I just it makes me worried about climate change. Uh, right. So this is just El Nino. This is just I'm an hoping. El Nino I'm though. hoping. Right. I'm hoping. <laughs> so my brain. That's how my brain works. It, it don't ever stop. Um, how about you, Anthony? I know you just celebrated a big birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> Yes, yes, fortieth birth, fortieth birthday, and 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 I think one of the uh, shows that we've got to have coming forward. You know, we've talked about elders on our show, and we've talked about youth on our show. Um, I think it's important for us to, at some point, have a conversation about that transition period. Don, I know you you had brought this forward before because you're in this interesting space of transitioning into elder status, and that doesn't necessarily just mean age. And so there's. I think I think it's a worthwhile topic, and I'm 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 thinking about that now. I can no longer claim to be able to even attempt at at um, uh, so- solidarity with young folks in the way that I used <laughs> to be able to at least claim some deeper knowledge for uh, at this stage. And I'm starting to think about legacy in a different way, and I'm starting to come into a space of having to be a shot caller. You know, we know our highest. Uh, earning years are that 40 and 50 year old years just before you hit the retirement because you've built up things up until this point. So, so like there's a whole lot of those things coming through, but you know, the thing that I'm most, Oh, go ahead, Don. (laughs) No, no. I was just going to say, not just that Anthony, and not that you're already doing it, but you're hitting that age where, where you step up. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean that in a way, if you look around and you look at who are all in these current leadership positions throughout the country, because that's kind of what happened to me when I was in my 40s. You kind of step up. And so um, that's part of that transition. And it don't last long, brother, because it don't last long, man, because once you pass 55, it starts heading the other way very quickly. Oh, come on. Come on. So, <laughs> Look, I'm not going to claim midlife because I, 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 no, no, I'm no, going to no, claim a whole I'm, lot more. But I'm just saying in terms of <laughs> yeah. those opportunities and that, that kind of thing, it begins to then shift to the other side. So I don't know. I found those 40s very exciting. I'm very excited for you. Um, you know, welcome to that transition, bro. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about it and I'm excited where it's going to go and I think the step up piece is absolutely right. You know, this is a, a spot where up until this point I've been able to 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 say how do I follow the lead of other folks? How do I look up to other different places and now I'm getting some questions about you know, I'm being asked to step up and set a vision or or take a stab at saying, you know, let's try this. And folks, you know, and, and it's and it's just a different thing. And so I'm I'm curious to see what happens. I'm curious what 
my conversation with my elders in my community, um, of which, Don, I, I count you as one of, so I'm coming to you with the same thing. Like, I'm curious how your advice to me is going to shift now that I'm in this space. And so I've just been laughing and enjoying that and having a good time. Listen, we, we've had a far-reaching conversation all over the place um, as we as we have a grab bag episode. You kind of never quite know where it's going to go. And so um, I really appreciate all of you uh, for being a part of this and 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 just being willing to engage and kind of go where it is. And if you're listening to this today, we've raised a whole lot of things and notice that we we haven't spent a whole lot of time saying why and what and what these connections are. And you may be listening to us the first time and go, wow, wait, what is that? What is that connected? Let's go back and listen to our other episodes. This is why this is an ongoing conversation. There's not a period at the end. And so um, continue to, to, to move, continue to ask the, 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 the questions that need to ask and continue to continue to um, uh, poke your head out of the shell. I love this quote from, and I usually go back way further back in history for these quotes, uh, but I'm going to come a little bit closer to home. This one comes from Shonda Rhimes. Let's get some new names into the mix. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I love what Shonda Rhimes says. If I don't poke my head out of my shell and show people who I am, all anyone will ever think I am is my shell. So let's continue to ask these questions and get up and get up out of those shells and, and, and go back and look at the, the, the things we need to look at. I appreciate being with you today. I'm Anthony Galloway, uh, partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. This has been Counter Stories. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.